Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The pre-med year, session number 505. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to share our guest with you today, Dr. Chanel Wilson, founder of Urology Un. Bound, we're going to talk about her journey to medical school through the nursing path. Before we jump into that, though, I want to talk about the MCAT minutes brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. If you are like many people, including myself, when I was in this world uh, of being a pre med and not understanding anything that is out there, everything that is out there, including what the heck the MCAT is, you really need to go check out the MCAT podcast. It's a free podcast that I do with Blueprint MCAT where we take you A to Z through the MCAT. We cover lots of practice questions. We do so much. It's basically free MCAT prep for you at the MCAT podcast. Don't forget to go free create a free account also at blueprintmcat.com where you get access to a full-length exam, a half-length exam, study planner tool, and much more. Go check them out, blueprintmcat.com. Let's go and jump into our episode today again with Dr. Chanel Wilson. Dr. Chanel Wilson, thank you so much for joining me on the pre Years. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. When did you first realize that you wanted to be a physician? When did I first want to be a physician? Honestly, my first year of uh, college, mm-hmm. I I had, um, you know, growing up, I initially wanted to be a veterinarian. That was my, my passion. I loved animals. I would shadow in veterinary clinics. And then as I went through high school, um, I was always I was always an artist. And so I started doing more singing and playing piano. And I thought that maybe that's where I was going to go. And so I entered medical school as a bio and art major. And I can't tell you when exactly it happened. But at some point in that first year, I realized as much as I love animals, as much as I love art, I really love people. And I really wanted to to give back to people. And so that's how I knew how to do it. You know, I knew how to care for people. And I decided medicine was, you know, a, the way to go. Yeah. And and obviously, you decide you wanted to be a physician. Uh, being a pre-med is the easiest part of the journey. And you get into med school and live happily ever after, right? Yeah, no, I, I wish it was that way. Every step you think, okay, I finally made it. And then you realize, no, 
there's, yeah. there's more of a climb. So there, there's always more. What was the hardest yeah. part about being a pre-med student for you? For me, the hardest part, you know, initially when I decided to to do medical school, to go to medical school, when I was in college, I I spoke to a lot of people who were bio majors, chem majors, and I asked them, I said, well, what if you don't do well on your MCAT? Um, what if you can't get into medical school? What, what is your plan? What's your plan B? And most of them said they would go and do like work in a lab or maybe teach. And neither of those things appealed to me. And I am a huge, like I believe in plan B, plan C. You plan them all at the same time <laughs> so that you're not stressed later on. Yeah. And so yeah. my mother was a nurse and, you know, I knew that that would get me exposure to the, um, to the hospital, make sure that this is really what I wanted to do. But ultimately, if I didn't do, um, you know, if I didn't get into medical school, I could still have a career in healthcare and continue along the same path. So I am, um, you know, that that was that was uh, one of the biggest challenges was kind of bucking the trend and not doing one of those those yeah. commonly done majors, and then uh, and then just wondering what that that path would be because it was so not it wasn't very traditional. So you took the practical route, it seems like, and said. I, I need a plan B, which is funny because I preach don't have a plan B, but but obviously it doesn't work for everyone. Um, you took the practical route and said I'm gonna I'm gonna go down the nurse nursing school route while yeah. also still wanting to go to medical school. Yeah. And if I don't get into med school, uh, I'll be a nurse. And hey, that's I'm in the same realm, and that'll be good enough. So you did that. Yeah. Yeah. I did, and I'm. It was also nice because I worked in between when I finished nursing school and I went to medical school, there was three years. Okay. And I personally needed that time. I, you know, I was tired of school. And even though I was still doing pre-medical classes while I worked as a nurse, it wasn't the same. And so it really, it really gave me some real life experience. But most importantly, when I started med school, I was ready. Yeah. Like I wanted to be back in school. I was totally ready to dedicate to my studies. Um, and I think, no, I know that I did way better in school than I would have done if I had gone straight personally. Yeah. And, and you had all that experience being on a healthcare team and, and taking care yeah. of people and interacting with physicians. So I'm sure that helped with, with everything that you did in medical school, which is, which Definitely. is awesome. Did you, as, as you were going through your nursing school journey, did you apply to medical school during kind of the normal time frame, or did at some point you go, you know what, I know that I want to take some time off, so I'm not even going to bother applying to medical school right away. Yeah, the, the latter. I definitely was like, let me just work for a while. Um, when I was doing my nursing classes, I didn't want to do the additional pre-med courses because nursing is one of the hardest uh, undergrad majors, uh, which I didn't really understand until I chose to do it. And so just with the caseload, I was like, I don't want to do poorly on my on my my. Uh, pre-medical courses. Yeah. And I also knew I wanted I wanted to take some time and work. So yeah. I did. I only applied the one time uh, when I was ready. Oh, that's so nice. That's so nice. I, I'm a two-timer. I had to apply twice. Um, as you were going through your journey, you're working as a nurse. Uh, there's a common fear, uh, especially from parents, uh, that that you're going to find out that you're like, well, it's, it's a lot of work to go back to school, all that money. I'm already working as a nurse. This is a good career. I'm making money. Did was there any part of you that was like, don't do it, don't apply to medical school? 
No, I because I was nursing pre-med and I went into nursing knowing I was going to go um, do pre-med, I really did know that, okay, I'm going to finish nursing school, then I'm going to start working as a nurse and start taking my pre-meds. And then this year I'm going to do my my um, my MCAT. So I had it all planned out. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't give myself time to think about, well, am I happy here? Do I really want to go back? Because I'm very goal oriented. And so if I, if I'm going to do something, it doesn't matter if it takes a little longer, yeah. I'm still going to do it. You had that plan. I, I've talked to a lot of nurses here on the podcast turned pre-meds, medical students, physicians, and there, uh, unfortunately for some of them, there seems to be some pushback from other nurses that's, that are like, well, why do you want to do that? Is, is nursing not good enough for you? Why don't you want to be yeah. one of us? Did, yeah. did you face any of that? I would say I got, I got, really, I got two responses. I got, I did have a lot of nurses who were more just like, well, why would you go into nursing when we have a shortage there and then leave nursing um, when we, we need nurses? So you, you and, took a seat uh, from someone else. Exactly. Exactly. I had folks who said that um, and that, but then I had, I would say probably the majority of the nurses that I told I was going to med um, medical school, they were very supportive because they wanted a nurse physician there. And I, I've had, um, I mean, I'm always complimented on my bedside manner. I work very well with nurses and and techs and everybody in the healthcare um, team um, because I was already part of it. And yeah. I value everybody because I know the different roles. And so most of the response that I've gotten from nurses has been, Oh, good. This is that's that's the nurse doctor. She she knows she'll she'll take care of everything. You know, I don't make a mess at the bedside. I help clean up. You know, all those things. So yeah. in general, they're very supportive. That's that's awesome. So you are a black woman. You are a black woman physician. How yes. early on in your training did you start to feel some differences in how you were treated versus your your white colleagues? Um, I mean, even before I got into training, I, you know, was a nurse before I knew kind of what to expect. Um, I tell a lot of folks when I speak about DEI issues, when, uh, when they say, you know, oh, be careful, we don't want to discourage, you know, um, black applicants. And I'm like, well, you know, these are adults, and they've been black their whole lives. It's not really <laughs> a new thing that they're learning, um, that there's going to be challenges. Yeah. And, you know, the, the more you, um, the, the higher up you go, the more homogenous the workforce becomes. And so you, you kind of learn very early on that you're going to be, you're going to stand out. You may be different, Yeah. but that's the experience of, of black folks in this country. And so I think that, you know, it's not ideal, but a lot of us are, are very much aware that that's going to be the situation and the experience. Yeah. Uh, just a, a random tangent as we're recording this, that this week uh, on TikTok, I don't know if you, you've seen this trending everywhere going viral with the the teaser trailer for the new Little Mermaid video yes. where all these little black and brown girls are watching this trailer and they just light up and they're like, she's yeah. black or she looks like me. And it, it's just like, it's so like, it's just tears of joy. Oh, uh, I cried. <laughs> and then of course, all the, the, the white old guys are like, but, but, but my tradition, <laughs> yeah. uh, whatever. Anyway, um, so, so that's phenomenal. For for the student listening to this, right, the the underrepresented student listening to this, who has 
already starting to get some pushback, whether it's from their own kind of culture or family or or kind of community going like, why would you do that? You need to go help our family pay for for whatever you need to go get a job right away and this person is like i want to go be a doctor and but yeah. they don't see people like them who are doctors what what sort of advice do you have to go find that mentorship to go find that community to go find that encouragement to keep pushing forward yeah well, um, well in terms of where to find folks you know social media is a, definitely a double edged sword but i feel like medicine is definitely taken they've taken the reins and they've they've gotten on social media so i feel like a lot of folks have reached out to me through twitter for mentorship and a lot of um uh students who are in my um in the interest group my 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 organization runs they found mentors and they found us through twitter through instagram things like that so social media is a great place um and just in terms of like whether or not you should be here i i would say that the 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 lack of diversity, just that's the calling card. Like we need to be here for our communities. Um, there's so many times when I speak to to patients and I'm like the first black doctor that they've ever had. Yeah. And the experience is just so transformative for them. They tell me about it. And um, I, I know that I'm, it's not just that I'm a doctor. It is that I'm a black doctor. And th- that's really important, very needed. Um, you know, the World Health Organization said that we needed more minority physicians back in the early 2000s, and it hasn't really happened, unfortunately, but we know that it's necessary. So please just yeah. keep on, keep on keeping on. It's simple biology when you think about it. It's just, it's just diffusion. We need, we need diffusion of from a high concentration to a low concentration. We, yeah. we need more of you in medicine where there's a low concentration. Uh, unfortunately, exactly. exactly. Yeah, and and I think I I read somewhere uh, the article that you wrote. Um, black physicians, I think, is make up like five percent of the workforce. When in our population, it's about fourteen percent of our population is black. Yeah. So there's there's a big difference there, right? A third, basically, uh, yeah, uh, of what we potentially should have uh, in, yeah, in the physician exactly. workforce to to mimic what our society looks like. Where do you think we still have issues and and uh, of of recruiting? black medical students. I, I think the data that I saw is like black men specifically, like those numbers haven't changed since the seventies. Like what's, yeah. what's, what's the holdup? I would say it's very much on us, uh, our medical community because mm-hmm. of our recruitment practices. Yeah, We, we, we've made recruitment criteria that we know doesn't necessarily doesn't at all correlate to clinical productivity, or if you'll be a good physician, if you'll be, you know, all of those things, what we've done is we've made our criteria ones that are going to benefit the folks who are the most privileged. And so it really comes from us changing our recruitment techniques and recruiting for what we need. We need more diversity. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm always saying, I'm like, you know, the grit and resilience to be a Black person who's gotten through high school and college and to graduate school, I mean, you're gonna. You're not gonna find harder workers. You're not gonna find more dedicated workforce. But so many times, we're told the opposite. Oh, you don't have what it takes. Yeah. Um, so it definitely is us. It's us in the medical and academic medicine. It's our our field, and we really need to treat um, change our recruitment practices to to diversify the field. 
that's hard, right? It's it's it it's is. a hard thing to do because there's so much out there, especially this stupid U.S. News and World Reports ranking list where MCAT and GPA are a big part of it in terms of how you rank. And and if you yeah. have a class with a higher MCAT and a higher GPA, then, ooh, look at me, yeah. I rank higher on these stupid, worthless, <laughs> uh, yeah. meaningless thing. And yeah. It's it's impossible, and and I don't know. Yeah. Obviously, we can blame the AAMC for creating a test where black students score ten points less on average than their white counterparts. But the education system leading up to those students taking the MCAT is probably a, a bigger part of the issue of, of it's, it's a part school yeah. funding being based on home values and and all mm-hmm. of those issues and redlining that goes way back and like it's obviously. A, a large systemic issue that is it's a large systemic the, issue. the history to get to this point is it really as simple as going to medical schools and putting pressure on them to say hey like don't take the mcat right we we saw the the um the the lawyer board or whatever the the law the law side of things recommended to law schools to say drop the lsat yeah and, and law schools were like uh no <laughs> we don't want to do that <laughs> We don't want to do that. You know, it's we won't solve everything by doing that. But we as physicians, and especially those of us in academic medicine, we should work where we can have the most impact. Because, yes, we need to do more with funding. We need to do better with, like, the the the, um, the prison pipeline. We need to do more with food and education and transportation and police brutality. There's so many things because it's systemic, but where we as physicians can make the most difference is our own recruitment practices. And I say we should focus on it because if we at least are recruiting the folks who are applying, then we're going to have a higher a higher percentage. When you see the drop-off parts, it's not just that folks aren't applying, it's that they're not being recruited. They you know they they won't get they don't get in. Yeah. And so then we but then we say, oh well, they're not getting in because they're not strong. But they're not strong because they don't meet metrics that don't have anything to do with strength. I mean yeah. Back in the 70s or 60s, we we already learned that um, standardized testing was completely biased. And it's not because, again, of the necessarily the information, but it's because standardized test taking is a is a skill. It's yeah. a learned skill um, that doesn't, again, doesn't have anything to do with anything more than privilege. And so if us as physicians recruit the ones who are coming to get to, to get into medical school and then us in residencies are also again recruiting those folks and not making sure making sure they don't match and then get also the attrition rate like not firing residents once they get in there then we're going to see an increase in the the black physician population the minority um, population and then those folks there's going to be then more mentors there's going to be yeah. more visibility so while we can't maybe get to 14% we can definitely get better than 5% that we currently have yeah and, and i want to talk about the the residency uh, attrition rate uh, that that you just brought up, but I want to keep talking uh, briefly about this recruiting that you keep mentioning. One of the the most frustrating things that I see, being a, a bystander at the, at this point, right, not practicing medicine at this point in my career, um, is the struggle that students have. All students, uh, any race, have with getting 
shadowing experience with going to a physician and saying, hey, I'm a pre-med student. I think I'm, I want to be a pre-med student. Right? Yeah. And I can't, can I come follow you around for a day? And yeah. the barriers that are put in place for everyone is just atrocious. And, and yeah. it, it pisses me off because I'm like, you were in their shoes. Don't blame the don't blame the hospital and go. Well, my hospital policy says right, and I yeah. understand right. The physician's job is hard and and it's busy and there's so much to do. And having having a shadow follow you around can slow you down, but it's the right thing to do to to make sure that we're recruiting the right people moving forward to to your term right recruiting. I mean, yeah. is is it as simple as as like getting a, an email list of every black physician out there and going like. It's your job to to recruit our next generation of black physicians, uh, not only to 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 make sure that those that are like super strong students and know that this is what they want, get them what they need, but also those who may be floundering, give them the the inspiration to to do well and to keep pushing forward. Like, is it do you think that's a responsibility that should be kind of mandated? So I think that there's a there's a lot of ways to tackle increased um, shadowing opportunities. I, I definitely believe that medical schools should have those things in place. Like yeah. medical schools work with a ton of different hospital systems. They have schools themselves and academic physicians. So medical schools should have more pre-med and shadowing opportunities so people don't need to rely on their friends or their, their community to get shadowing experiences because again, that benefits the privilege, those who are gonna have doctors in their in their camp. In terms of like my um, black physicians and minority physicians doing more, that uh, it's it's ideal, of course, but it just really that that lends to the minority tax because there's not very many of us. And um, you know, with what I'm doing with urology, there's like under there's under three there's like 350 under 400 in the entire country so if, we, if every single black physician was to um to mentor all of the students who are trying to come in on top of the fact that we are usually practicing in places where you know we're we're taking care of our community we have less resources it's already like a huge tax that's been piled onto us for the longest time and it comes from you know, we also have responsibilities to our own families and our communities. And once, once we start being financially more, uh, you know, more financially stable than people may be in our families, then it's extra responsibility. So, even though in the ideal world, um, black and brown physicians would be able to mentor like all of the black and brown um, pre meds who are coming behind them, we have to take into account that there are so many more um, responsibilities that black and brown physicians have. Just innately you know just it just there's just already more and then you know it and then they also went through this process and so i talked to folks who are still traumatized from their training they're still traumatized from everything they went through and then they're trying to get out of it themselves and it's a lot it's very hard to give back and to to do mentoring or even sound positive about a, a about a of healthcare fields that yeah. really has not been very kind to us. So um, I think that the hospital, that the medical schools should definitely do way more for the pre-meds. And I believe that stakeholders like, um, like um, industry, industry, industry who have um, ends with hospitals can, can then use their, their, uh, 
they're positioning with them to leverage more opportunities for medical students. And that's the way we, uh, we, we allow these, this red tape to kind of go on. I like that. Uh, yeah. And, and that, that trauma, uh, trauma that's encountered kind of through this process that, uh, yeah, like, why would I want a student to shadow me? I don't even want to be practicing as a physician. Why do I want to encourage someone else to follow in my footsteps? And if I don't want to be here, and unfortunately, I hear that a lot from students of the, they're being discouraged by physicians. And of I course, they're, they're going to be uh, physicians who are happy and physicians who are, are are not happy in their their current field, like any other career field. So mm-hmm. it's it's hard. Let's let's yeah. talk about the the residency um, angle here. Um, I I saw it recently somewhere uh, that it surprised me. I, I don't know where it was so, social media where I, I saw some stats about how black residents were dismissed from their programs at a much much higher rate than yeah. than their counterparts. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Uh, very interestingly, I just gave a talk on this um, two days ago <laughs> at our at our at our institution, but it happens for a lot of reasons. Um, and I, the title of my talk was "Gaslighting: How This Is the Hidden Deterrent to Diversity." But um, you know this this country we have we have a we have a legacy in this country of punishing Black people and putting them in their place. And it doesn't really change when you get into any professional field. We're still people. It doesn't really matter what we do. The country is still the country. The socialization is still the way it's been. The history is still here. And medicine isn't isn't protected from it. In fact, you know, medicine tends to be more conservative white males. So it tends to be more of a distillation of that. So when you have this legacy of, 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 um, disciplining black people, that it, it doesn't change anywhere. It really that that's kind of where it comes what it comes down to. Um, people are given academic disciplinary, um, you know, probation and warnings, things like that, dismissed from their programs, their contracts not renewed at a higher rate for for not for things that note that that their co-residents wouldn't get um, punished for. Um, in fact, sometimes the co-residents are more problematic and they never get anything said to them, but the black resident does. Yeah. More people are gonna necessarily, you know, maybe reporting them or just having these experiences and maybe the, the faculty don't want to train them. So they don't like them and you know they they're now uncoachable or unteachable. So all of this stuff just happens and there's essentially no scrutiny. Um residency programs can basically, you know, they they can do what they want to do. Yeah. Um, it's all kind of very much regionally, locally managed by that hospital, that GME. There's no one they have to like report to, or there's no oversight really. Um, and so it's just, it's not any different again. Like there's a reason we're stagnant is because of low recruitment and high attrition. You think that would be part of the ACGME kind of accreditation process and reaccreditation process is let's take a look at those residents who you've dismissed from your program. Yeah. What did they look like and why I, are most of these people black that you dismissed? Yeah, there's it's so hard to find that data. Nobody publishes it. Nobody looks at it. Nobody collects it. Nobody requires it. But we say that we want more diversity without looking. You know, it's it's. Yeah. It's there's we have the data and it's no transparency and and I believe that that's intentional 
because we could definitely change. We're doctors. Like we are all about <laughs> data. Like yeah. we are about the scientific process. If this doesn't work, let's like retool things. Let's, but we don't do that when it comes to diversity, um, um, diversity initiatives or diversity issues. And, you know, it's probably very, you know, it's, it's yeah. a reason because then we'll see what's going on. It's it's interesting because the, the LCME, they put University of Missouri uh, School of Medicine on probation a couple of years ago, I think for the second mm-hmm. time because of a lack of diversity. Uh, and so someone's looking at something, but it's not enough still, uh, it yeah, seems like. exactly. So exactly. For, for the future resident, future physician listening to this episode, what should they do as they're going and looking at residency programs? They're applying to programs, which unfortunately, that whole process is is a cluster um, where where there's really not much research put into programs. Everyone just applies everywhere um, mm-hmm. and and lines the pockets of of those in charge. The uh, what should the student be doing? to go, this will be a safe program for me. This one will not. Is there, yeah. are there kind of online resources where students are putting together reviews and stuff? Do, do I need to make that? Like, how do we, how do we get that information? I think that that is challenging because, you know, all these programs, they change. So the programs where I trained at are, are, are very different than they, they are now because the faculty are coming and going and it's really, it's such a, it's really like a, it's a systemic thing. So you really can't avoid it. You can go to a place where two or three other Black people finish and you can have an issue, you know, like yeah. you just don't know. And there's not really a a way to necessarily protect yourself or have a safe space. Um, you, can, of course, can make some uh, informed decisions. And I, if, you, if you know anybody who trained at the program, um, you can always ask, but it's just, there's no real way to know. So I always say, because you can't really depend on other people, you can only control yourself. It's more important that you have, I'm always talking about your plan B's and your plan C's. It's not this, it's not to get out, but you should know what you will do if the worst happens, what you should be doing to prevent the worst from happening. Mm -hmm. I always advocate, and this is something I I recommend medical students do, pre-med students do, everyone, if you have someone who's writing evaluations for you, you solicit feedback, written feedback on a routine basis where you are not just asking, hey, how am I doing? But you're saying, this is what I've done. This is what I've improved in. This is how I've I've done my best to learn. Is there anything that you need that I should be working on so that you're not ever caught off guard by you know crazy bad evaluations at the end of a rotation? Um, I always say, I mean, just in general, write everything down. Yeah. Um, and... If you notice an issue, if you start feeling like there may be an issue, I seek legal advice early on. I, I, the saddest thing that I get now um, after I, I uh, wrote that article is people reaching out when they've it's already too late. Mm. You know, they've already gotten the 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 dismissal letter. They've already gotten you know we they're not they were not renewing their contract and they want to know what can I do now and you know, a lot of times it's just too late. Um, so I say, you know, get some help in your corner, get legal advice early on if you feel like there's a problem. Because if you at least, even if you you show folks that you have someone in your corner, you, you're you not going to seem as much of a, a victim or a vulnerable. Um, and that's what I think a lot of times, you know, we become victims and um, we should 
do our best to get other uh, get support in our own corner by looking for it. Wow. So you are, are out there trying to to make a change. Talk about the the organization that you started uh, to try to get some more diversity in the urology world. So yes, I started Urology Unbound um, in 2020, which is dedicated to increasing the recruitment, retention, and promotion of Black urologists, well, underrepresented in general urologists. We work with, um, we have a pipeline program for medical students who are underrepresented in medicine, so Black, Latinx, Alaska Native, Native American, um, where we provide um, monthly webinars. We give them access to uh, mentors, all of the uh, faculty who come, and they usually share their contact information, and folks can get research mentors and just other people who can give them advice. We do application review. Um, Right now, we're in the middle of interview season, so we've been doing application review for the last month, month and a half. We do mock interviews, we do, um, and then set them up with extra practice if they feel like they need it. And, um, and just in general, like the folks who are on my leadership team and who work with me are always just trying to advocate for more, um, more, more transparency, more DEI efforts, uh, but not just, not just, you know, saying it, but actually doing it and showing it. We also um, support residents. And so we have an annual residency boot camp for incoming and current um, urology residents. And I talk, we always talk to them about academic discipline, what to do to protect themselves. But we also talk to them about how to do well clinically, prepare for clinic, um, the inpatient floors, surgery, um, how to maintain their quality of life. We talk to them about career development and their their careers outside of um, outside of training. And we're just always looking for more and more um, things that we can provide our, our members and our and our community. Um, ultimately, I'm trying to give everyone the stuff that I wish I had when I was going through. Yeah, that, that's amazing. Um, sounds like a, an amazing organiz- organization, uh, amazing mission there. Yeah. Dr. Chanel Wilson, as we wrap up here, what words of wisdom do you have for the student listening to this who who doesn't think they belong in this world, in this medical world, uh, because of where they grew up or what they look like? Um, I would say you absolutely belong. You're desperately needed. Um, and And don't let anyone stop you. Don't let anyone convince you that you're not. All right, so there you have it again, Dr. Chanel Wilson. You can find her on Instagram at Chanel Wilson M D. That's S H E N E L L E Wilson W I L S O N M D on Instagram. Go check her out. Founder of Urology Unbound. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the Premed Years. This is MedEd Media.